because it's a whole to be marked show. And today I'm talking to... Try to introduce yourself. I'm Stuart Bell. And Stuart, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Yes, I'm a world record holding escapologist. listeners who are perhaps unfamiliar with it, escapology is the stuff that Harry Houdini used to do in Legends, you know, getting out of straight jackets, handcuffs and all those manner of restraints. And it was recently featured, uh, escapology featured on Britain's Got Talent uh, couple, uh, last weekend. Is that the bloke who originally did it wrong? So I've been tight here, yes, and he's uh, redeemed himself brilliantly with the fantastic performance that scared the living daylights out of everyone who watched it. I suppose it can go wrong anyway, but if, if you don't plan it... Well, it can, it can go wrong even if you do plan it. Uh, even Houdini got caught out more than once. Yeah, um, the famous... The one I can think of Harry Houdini went, went wrong was the one where he went in the... In the water? Yeah, there was a barrel and he was, uh, it didn't kill him, but he was actually in Leeds in the UK and he got challenged by a brewery, of all people. And they promptly went off and filled the, the vat. He'd escaped from loads of times before uh, when it was filled with water. But of course, Harry had anticipated uh, it being beer that they filled it with. Uh, having a head on it, so he goes to do everything he's normally done, and of course, rather than finding a small air pocket, he found a pocket full of uh, bitter head from the beer, and promptly passed out and nearly drowned. <laughs> yeah, he, never, he didn't do it again. <laughs> For some strange and mysterious reason, he decided, no, I'll go off and do something different. I'll hang upside down from a burning rope, that sort of stuff, that's... Without revealing too much, how about how would you go about performing a routine? Yeah, it, when it all started off, I, I actually wanted to go off and be just like Darren Brown, just a mind reader, you know, doing all that sort of stuff. But I was so useless at it, and I was useless at every other form of magic that I ended up doing escapology. So I always plan the escapes that I do. As, uh, as little performances, both they tend to have almost a demonstration feel to them. So, amazingly enough, if I gave you a pack of playing cards or a Star Wars action figure, you'd have a rough idea of what it was. Uh, surprisingly, not many people know what a Moroccan strap looks like or what a, a Hyatt handcuff looks like. So immediately, uh, I've got to sit down and take three minutes to explain people what it, to people what it is, but also how it works and how dangerous it can be. So once you've already, so once you've started off on that, you're already in sort of a demonstration, almost a bit like QVC or the shopping network. You're, you're sort of explaining this is this is this product and this is what's going to happen to it. And once that's happened, you're you're already in these sort of and explaining mode rather than uh, turning up like you're uh, James Bond or uh, you're more sort of Q as opposed to, uh, to James Bond or Iron Man. <laughs> oh, years ago I watched the uh, man from um, Milk Tray adverts yeah. do some stunts yes. and butlins. Mm. 
very good. They are. They are. You, a lot, all the stunt performers uh, in the UK at the moment are very, very good. They, I can recommend, if anyone gets a chance, I can recommend a lovely book by a man called Vic Armstrong. And he, uh, he's been, he was the stunt double for Harrison Ford on the first three Indiana Jones films. So when Indiana Jones is leaping from the horse onto the tank, that's actually Vic Armstrong. And he did that for real. That was a real moving tank. That was a real track to tread that he cleared. And when you look at it now, you think, Gordon Bennett, you, you can get away with it these days. It'll be computer generated and look terrible, but there are, there are many, many performers who are doing amazing feats still. Didn't Buster Keaton do his own stunts? Yes, yes, he did. He was very, very, uh, very famous for doing them. And there's a, 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 a one where they, uh, he's standing in front of a house and the front of the house falls forward and uh, the, the top upstairs attic window is open and Buster Keaton goes through the open window but everything around him is smashed as the rest of this wooden-fronted house falls down. And that was a very dangerous stunt he had inches either side otherwise he'd have been crushed i remember the goodies we did that as a stunt for one of their shows didn't they mm. yeah there, there are there's a lot of homage being paid to great performers even you look at uh, the works of Lowell and hardy uh, their work was incredible as well and there's so many there's so many little gems that are tucked away in the classic films and the classic movies of the 1900s, 90, uh, well, from 1918, certainly. If you can find, uh, I mean, I remember growing up watching King of the Rocket Men and uh, Flash Gordon. When it, oh, that makes sense. Flash Gordon. That's how old I am. Uh, yeah, we had four TV channels. Uh, and. Uh, yeah, BBC Two on a Saturday morning as you're waiting for you know, Saturday Swap Shop to start or whatever it was at nine o'clock. Uh, you'd be the Open University, and then you'd have you know Flash Gordon uh, versus you know or Buck Rogers, and it was the same sets for both. And it was brilliant. It was just an action adventure, but done on, on these days. It, you can see it's all models. You can see the strings, but it didn't alter the excitement. You were saying that you've got some numerous world records. Now, I, I obviously haven't read the recent Guinness Book of World Records because there's so many copies. Can you mention some of the records that you have got? Yes, uh, well, it all started about 15, 16 years ago. Uh, I'm now up on to my 20th record, not just with Guinness, there are other awarding bodies, but I've, uh, I've set world records for the fastest escape from handcuffs or most weight uh, squat lifted in an hour, uh, most squat thrusts in a minute, all... Uh, these records have been beaten by better men, but I still hold uh, the Guinness World Record for most handcuffs unlocked in one minute, which is nine, and the fastest escape from uh, transport leg irons, which at the minute is 63 seconds. Is that the old-fashioned leg irons that they used to use? 
No, no, the high security modern new ones and the rules for that, uh, it's not just, okay, you're in them, go. You also have, you, the clock starts when they start putting them on you and it takes about 40 seconds for the person to put them on you properly. And then you've then got to get out as fast as you can, but at no point are you using manacles that you own or have had any contact with. So when you realize there's maybe 30 or 40 different brands on the market, and there's however many thousand combinations per key per lock. You suddenly, you suddenly realise this isn't just this isn't just uh, luck. There is a great deal of research and skill that goes on. I imagine you have to keep yourself in quite good physical condition. I, I, I try to keep myself in, in good You are quite correct. You should be in good condition. Uh, I try to keep myself in good condition, but uh, thankfully I'm uh, a reasonably active person and I like to walk places, I like to jog, but I, I, I stopped being a gym junkie quite a few years ago, but for a while I was going three times a week uh, for about two hours a time. We've got a local person who does the same kind of thing you do, called Merlin. Have you heard of Merlin? Ah, yes. I know of him, yes. I have yet to meet him, but he is, he, he is very good. He performs at a um, local place on the road. Uh, oh, God. Memory con at the moment. I was going to be facetious and say Camelot, but that would only confuse your listeners. Yeah, oh, I see. Sorry. I got the reference, but then people might think no, Camelot. You got the reference, but... Camelot, they probably think, oh, doesn't he, doesn't he mean the um, lottery people? people. Yeah. yeah. Not, not the famous um, King Arthur legend, which is, if people know about King Arthur, he's either in Yorkshire. Devon. Yeah. I think he's in quite a lot of other parts of the world. Someone was claiming he was French the other day. Every, every, uh, I mean, the Arthurian legend is so wonderful and vast. It can be retold by every generation, and it's uh, resurrected every 16 or 18 years. Someone's got a new take on it. I, uh, I remember Sean Connery was playing King Arthur in uh, First Night or Last Night or whatever it was in the, in the 90s and then a few years ago, we, well, just recently, we had uh, the Guy Ritchie film version of it. So it, it's a wonderful, wonderful story and legend. Well, obviously it's a legend, but it, it, it just keeps getting retold. They, they even tried a cartoon series of it uh, a few few years ago. So it's all based around Prince Valiant, which was just, it's just an amazingly rich tapestry to tap into. I'm always a great believer that, although it's obviously a legend, there must be an element of truth somewhere in it. Well, I, I, I remember watching a documentary uh, where they find uh, that um, Arthur is mentioned, if I recall correctly from what I saw in this documentary, Arthur is mentioned in the war 
stories, the dispatches of the many battles between uh, the, the original English and then the sort of Romans who came in and uh, other other factions and the discussion of him was was that he fought valiantly far uh, far far stronger and more valiantly than those of more noble uh, blood and that was I think the, the first uh, bit of scripture about him that as with all things it is it is one name and one source and you then find yourself cross referencing and there's another. Uh, I think Arthas was uh, a Roman, and there's some conjecture that Arthas and Arthur are one and, are one and the same. But it is uh, it, it, it's wonderful. But I agree with you. There is always an element of truth to legends, and there's always an element of truth to some of the stories that magicians tell, and not just magicians, as in hocus pocus conjurers and has the hat, the, uh, the true wizards as well. Yeah, I know people, I, I, I know people like S. Rob, uh, mm. who you know, obviously. Yes. And, um, oh, yes, very well. And he, he, um, he is it, got me into the proper world of magic and all that. Mm. And uh, I'm, I'm slowly getting to learn more and more about it, but obviously it's quite new to me because I, I, well, my main thing is cryptozoology, but I cover uh, paranormal, UFOs, and conspiracy theories, and beyond that, really. And um, I, I seem to be falling into the paranormal a little bit more nowadays because the. I... Uh, daughters, 
as you name it, there was a great deal of hurt. And on the one hand, Houdini completely understood the need why people would go out and seek closure or seek to make contact with the other side. The trouble with it was that with that assurance and that ability to contact the next world, also came contact, and with con- by contact I don't mean contact with the spiritual realm, but the, the spiritualists began to have contact with people in high places, and whereas you, if you or I wanted to talk to a head of state, we would be petted, whereas at the time, Houdini worked out, very quick, and others worked out that a great deal of political influence was being gained by people who were spiritualists, and he wanted to just make sure that people weren't being conned, people weren't being fooled, and in addition to people being paid sums of money for the for the for Houdini considered a parlor trick. He also didn't want a nefarious group to be able to influence government policy. Which, when you say it like that, sounds incredibly noble. It's just the way he went about it was very absolute. Uh, He wanted to see definitive proof. And regretfully, uh, none was able to be found. Because I remember the, obviously there's been numerous films about it, I remember the Tony Curtis version, that's why I remember yes. that bit about the um, debunking film. Yes, he, there was a wonderful case with a lady called Marjorie, and uh, the idea behind it was that uh, there was actually going to be a scientific test, there was going to be um, vetting of Marjorie's ability, but unfortunately, um, and bear in mind this is sort of 1922, 1923 sort of time, uh, there was still uh, a great deal of Victorian mindset in the world, particularly in uh, England and in, in the US. So when you realise Marjorie performed uh, basically in an almost see-through nightdress, and she was uh, in the company of a number of very uh, buttoned-down Victorian-style men, uh, there was an argument that perhaps they were not as focused on the scientific side of the process as they could have been. Is the most nice, is the most diplomatic way of uh, saying things. Yes, because I, I had a discussion the other day um, about um, psychic abilities, and I know that the American and Russian government did look into um, things like that during the 60s yes. and 70s. Yes, and there, there is still, I mean, please, if anyone's listening to this and thinks I'm a, a skeptic of such things, I'm not. I've, I'm, uh, I'm not wedded to one position, but there are certainly, um, certainly, I think that I have to, I have to revert to Shakespeare at this point. There is more in heaven and earth than is in any philosophy, my dear Horatio. They did spend a lot of money, the US and the Russians did spend a lot of money doing psychic research, but again, particularly, uh, sorry, particularly around remote reading, but again,
some of the phenomena or the way it was being tested left it open to a bit of chicanery. So what was being discovered by uh, some methods, perhaps chance, perhaps a higher power, was also being uh, subjected to a bias brought in by other means, consciously or otherwise. Famous case is Yuri Geller, and he was said that he was used as a remote viewer by the CIA. Yes, yes. Uh, there's a famous escape artist called James Randi, and he was filmed as the Great Randi. And the friction, it, again, nicest way of phrasing it, between Randi and Geller over whether or not Geller was actually a genuine psychic or a performer was absolutely incredible to behold and for every time there was apparently a breakthrough by Gala there was uh, a point of clarification from Randy uh, regretfully it didn't help on Gala's side that apparently if I remember correctly and I may be, I may be mistaken that one of his witnesses one of Gala's scientists observing uh, Gala was actually technically registered blind. Now, I've, I've, <coughs> I've, I'm only hearing this fourth hand, so I could be completely wrong, but that does open a question mark over what was actually seen. If you, but there, there are, I mean, we've all had experiences, but you, before, before caller ID, the phone would ring and you had a strong inclination who it was who was calling. You, I've gone places and I don't know why, but for lack of a better word, I've had the heebie-jeebies. So I'm not, I'm not dismissing there being something out there. I'm just simply, uh, I'm simply trying to be as objective as possible because I've seen things performed by mortal man that are absolutely incredible. Um, I've had the pleasure of watching Luke Jamey perform. And for those who've never seen Luke Jamey, please go and see him. Uh, if you like what Darren Brown does, you'll be amazed by what Luke can do. And it's just, um, I've never not been amazed by how ingen ingenious uh, entertainment magicians as opposed to wizards can do. Well, I'm talking to a, a person who's got a school of wizardry soon. Stanley somebody. I'll keep my ears open for that one. Because Stanley somebody. I, I can't remember his last name. I do apologize, Stanley. It's just I've got no. so many names. Oh, <laughs> you're doing... I have, I have total sympathy. I, I have my own podcast, but I'm barely podcasting to do to turn the number of episodes out that you do and have the range of guests that you do is nothing but extraordinary. So, on behalf of your, on behalf of your listeners, please accept a round of applause. Well, I, I basically started it as because I did um, try you. YouTubing, like videoing and that. But I found that it, it was a lot harder because it, it's so much more technical. 
I don't think it's like, well, you should be doing this, you should be mixing and whatever. But I'm not worried because I'm going to keep my show as it is. I accept that it's not, sometimes it may not be uh, technically right, but I think it works. And I, I, I basically put, I ask people, would you like to be on my show? And nine out of ten times people say, yeah, okay. Because yeah, and that's how it works. Yes, and it's a very good show. I, I love your show. I mean, uh, it's, you, you listen to some podcasts and they are, they are, they are just radio shows. They are just radio shows, uh, and that's not a bad thing. I have, I have my own radio show, uh, which I put on, which is broadcast once a week on uh, Johnson Community Radio. I didn't really want to do a plug for it. I'm sorry. But, uh, the the thing with it is, is that if you're going to go down that route, then fantastic. Yes, mix it. Have a guest in the room or over the phone and. In and make it all crystal clear but as long as you're talking about something that everyone wants to listen to and you know there are excellent gardening podcasts there are excellent uh, music podcasts there are excellent pro wrestling podcasts but the, you know we have such uh, a diverse hobby uh, and interest in magic in all its forms that I believe 
I've had a supernatural experience of my own, but it could have been my brain playing tricks. I had set both sides of the argument. And uh, I'm a fast, I love listening to stuff because I used to work in mental health. And I used to speak to a lot of residents. And other people say, oh yes, well they were completely mad. But no, if you actually talk to people who are mentally ill, if you get in an elusive time, you can find out some very fascinating details. I used to know someone who was an ex-teacher, I won't mention his name because that's not fair, and he was as mad as a box of frogs most times. But when you had times when he was quite good, you could have fantastic conversations about time and perception and stuff like that. Also, I think, and just chipping in, there is still, I mean, we have a, we have a situation where I think statistically one in four people are under some sort of acute mental stress at the moment. Do you believe in gremlins? 
which not a lot of people realise, but Roald Dahl, when he was part, uh, a member of the RAF, uh, part of the RAF during the battle, um, I think during World War Two, wrote a, a book about gremlins, which were his uh, his way of explaining all those little nasty mechanical defects that would stop us beating the enemy. And that brought him to the attention of Walt Disney. And that's how the phrase gremlin got into the works, uh, got into the lexicon. And since then it's sort of gone on and on and on. And we, said we had the Steven Spielberg movies, uh, the, you know, Gremlins and Gremlins 2. But I'm, I, I'm very much a fan of the World War Two definition of gremlin. Yeah, I've done articles about that, and I found it, it, it originated mostly on the British pilots, yes. but the American pilots seemed to adopt it after, after a while. Yes, and it's a... Uh, it, it, I do, I do like the, I, I, I adore the notion that a gremlin is something that will come in and stuff up the works, because uh, that, that's something very British about it, rather than, uh, than the notion that there's this small, um, you like uh, creature that turns into yes. something when you, um, don't give it a drink. probably sounds like some women I know, but, sorry. <laughs> Moving on, uh, <laughs> for, safe, for safety reasons. Uh, <laughs> I was only joking, folks. It was only my humour. I do apologise if I offended anybody with that comment. Oh, uh, no, but, but yes, I'm a, definitely, I'm, I do believe in gremlins. I've had gremlins strike me. I had, I had a gremlin strike me on Sunday, actually. We, I was doing a, 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 a straightforward handcuff escape outside, uh, and this isn't a plug, but just give it a, a, it was in Canterbury, and it was outside a bar called Houdini's, and I was doing some escapes there, so it seemed the right place to do it, but uh, this particular handcuff, which was not, uh, not an expensive handcuff, it was a very, almost, very simple mechanism, but it started to, to break open, it started to fall apart on me. And because it was falling apart, the mechanism was no longer fully assembled. It was falling apart inside. So it ended up I had to break the cuff in half to get it off my wrist. And I mean that I, I blame the gremlins. There was no there was no way that had anything other than a mechanical fault. So I'm very much a I'm very much a believer in gremlins. What other kinds of things have, do you like in your uh, artists that you think, besides the ones you've mentioned, that you think, oh, I've really got to watch them. I wonder how they do that. Um, yes, I, I, believe it or not, I try, I do try and watch other escape artists, but equally, I kind of don't want to. I, I, I'm fascinated by the mind readers. I'm fascinated by card manipulating performers. Uh, Dynamo's work was incredible. But uh, just recently, there was a young gentleman on Brent Scott Talent who did this wonderful routine with a Rubik's Cube and a crayon and a book and uh, just 
series of cards and for me that was amazing it was absolutely beautiful to see it performed and I have no idea how he did it but the, the whole from beginning to end it was flawless and, and of course there are uh, it, yeah, there are club magicians who you go and see who are just incredible there are, there are, there are Force your 
personality to the front, even if you're rather shy and retiring, you have to make people want to, in my case, want to be bored senseless about this particular restraint, see you put it on and get out of it and make it as entertaining as someone who, you know, 300 yards up the road, has got a shallow and is doing a beautiful interpretation of, take, uh, you know, aha, take on me. You know, it's it, you've got to be you've got to be a competitive performer. I'm a great fan of of um, wrestling because I grew up with um, the ITV. Big Daddy and John Haystack. Yeah, yeah. so I, I, maybe my dad used to sit there and watch that. I didn't like the American stuff, but obviously it's a bit more dancey, prancy kind of stuff. They've got back to some of the good old-fashioned, just let's knock seven bells out of each other for 20 minutes and see what happens. But I do know what you mean. There is, There has to be that narrative. Yeah, I'm a great fan of that because, yeah, again, that is a performance. People say, oh, yeah, but it's all fixed. Yes, it may be fixed, I do. But you yes, forget. You have to get to the end. Yeah, then you forget that you have to do the training because yeah. it's, it is a stunt work to some degree yeah. when they fall out and um, exactly. do rolls and whatever. Well, and, yeah, well, and it has to be probably wrong. Yeah. Did you see Mick Foley uh, as Mankind? Yes, with um, Undertaker when he went wrong with uh, the Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was a trip that everybody. happened real. It was not poor. Yeah. No, it, it's... Yeah, they, they... You know, there wasn't a crash mat underneath the announcer's table. There wasn't... Yeah. The second one where he fell into the ring was, a, was an error. He was meant to get caught in the wire, apparently. So, you know, the whole, the whole match shows exactly what you go through as a performer in wrestling. Yes, it has a predetermined outcome, but you've got to get there to that outcome. And, you know, there are people who, uh, you know, aren't interested in it because of the theatricality of it. But on the other side of it, I think we're... Testament to the, look at look at look what we've got. We've got Dwayne the Rock Johnson. We've got John Cena. Both with movies out now that would be unheard of ten years ago. So the quality, the performance ability of the guys in the ring is greater than some people give credit for. No, I do think under, it's very underestimated. Mm. I've seen a lot of local live shows. I've turned up where this poor um, company, we have a sort of show, wrestling show, wrestle, uh, Waldry, where I was living at the time. I think there must have been about 20 people there. So really speaking, they didn't get no money on the day. Time you take away overheads and whatever. But they still went ahead and did the um, show. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I really wanted to do wrestling when I was a kid. I really did. Uh, to the point I uh, was all set to go to Hamlock NWA, which was over in Kent. And uh, that would have put me, I think, in the same year as the man who's now known as Finn Balor. Uh, and in a way, I'm glad I didn't go because I'd be kicking myself because I'd be looking and thinking, oh, I could have done that. And the reality is I couldn't. I can, but it's 
sort of thing that attracts you. you it's the it, it's it's what makes. I mean, the concept, the TV show-wise, the concept of MacGyver is ridiculous. He'd have been shot in the head by now by someone. You know, the, it, it's what made the A-Team compelling. It's what makes, you know, the Great Egg Race, if you remember back that far, yes, do, yes. compelling. Or Scrappy Challenge, or Robot Wars. It's the, what, what can you do next? And that, in a way, is what attracts us to these sorts of events it's the theatricality of the entertainment of it combined with the innovation of it what got me into that was the great egg race oh yeah hands off yeah that was absolutely i would recommend to anybody who's listening please go and watch the videos of how they came about just moving an egg it is fantastic technology yeah and then they went further on with that with later series but it was brilliant it was just absolutely fantastic very British as well well it was ahead of its time the notion of having three teams indoors do something uh, ridiculous like you must get the egg off of the table however you must build a burger alarm to prevent the other teams from getting into the room that the egg's in and then you must bite they must then bypass the burger alarm you know and all this other stuff which was brilliant or uh, you've got to take the egg from one end of the room to the other but it's got to fly in a plane that you've got to make out of everything that's over here and there's nothing even close to an airworthy material on offer which led to the greatest line I ever heard of an expert on TV which was one of them turned around and said yes the red team well they did very well but their design seemed to be some sort of streamlined brick and you just don't get comments like that you'd have a you know we've lost that TV innocence Oh, I had a good debate about this the other day about political correctness. Now, I'm a great fan of the old-fashioned British comedies, and I like Love Thy Neighbour, um, stuff like that, which I know people might say, da 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 da. But if they actually watch the comedies properly, I mean properly, they will see that they both got as good as they gave. Also, they were of their time, uh, but it, it, I just find it hysterical that when the BBC had the vote, uh, Men Behaving Badly was the greatest sitcom the BBC had ever produced. And yet, ironically, you know, yes, Minister, yes, Prime Minister, hello, hello, uh, love thy neighbour, in sickness and in health, only fools and horses. Yeah, the list is endless, and yet none of those were deemed to be as good as men behaving badly. And when you look at it, it you, know, you can't really look at men behaving badly and say it's flawless comedy. It's very much of its time. And uh, I look back at some Tony Hancocks, I look back at some uh, Benny Hills, I look back at a great many comedies I watched when I was growing up. Dave Allen. Oh, oh gosh, Dave, Dave. I love Dave Allen. He's a really between the Mickey of God. Oh, um, I, I, I know the Telling the Time monologue. Yeah, 